That's kind of brutal, isn't it? Life sped up in that way. But tomorrow, um, the alarm clocks will go off all over this city, and people will just start rushing about. People will be rushing about, trying to run to get that bus, or jump in the car to get in the car jam. And people are just <clears throat> rushing about, rushing to school <clears throat> to get hires, rushing to university to get a degree or a master's or a doctorate, rushing to their workplace, whether that's a garage or a hospital uh, or a school where they're teaching, rushing about all this busyness. What's it all about? What's the point of all this busyness and rushing about? Well, we, we, we want to earn some money. We've got to pay the bills. We've got to eat and get some clothes and somewhere to live. Yep, I think most of us uh, realize that that's kind of what it's about. But I think also most of us want to see our work as something bigger than just earning a paycheck. I think in many different ways, we all, in a sense, have found some sort of significance to our work. We've kind of got into doing what we want to do because we believe that maybe it'll just make the world a little bit better. Uh, It is something in which uh, we invest a sense of our own value and meaning. Look, see, my life counts for something. It's important. I want to change the world. I want to leave the world a better place than when I first found it. Well, what does God have to say about that? Well, I want you to turn back to our Old Testament reading today, to the book of Ecclesiastes. <coughs> you find it on page 668. 668. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And have a look at verse 3. It really is the big question. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Well, there's the kicker question. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Uh, The word toil is often used throughout this letter, and it signifies that the world of work is an arduous experience. No one pays you to do things that require no effort. We wish it would be so. But all work requires some effort, some pain, some hardship that has to be overcome. And people pay you for doing it because actually it's going to slowly extract the life out of you. That's the truth of work. It's toil. And the question gain is kind of a hard-headed sort of business type question. Uh, When you consider all that's involved, all that goes in, uh, time, effort, money, uh, at the end of it, what's the payoff? Uh, What do you get from it? What's what's left over? What's the profit? What, What do we gain from all this busy labor at which we toil under the sun? Now, uh, we saw last week as we began this series through Ecclesiastes that the life coach that God has given us, this teacher, he wants us to face facts. 
He wants us to see life as it truly is. And to that question, what do we gain? Well, here's his answer. He's, he's got three <clears throat> points of answer today. First of all, he wants to tell us, face facts, there is no gain. No gain. He illustrates this from the natural world. Look, about, look at, the, at the sun, verse 5. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. Well, it looks like the sun makes progress. There it is, busily rising in the morning, goes all the way across there, and guess what next day? It's back to exactly the same spot. Does the same thing day after day. It never reaches any resolution of goal. It just keeps doing the same thing every day. Well, not just the sun. Have a look at the wind. Verse 6. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. You know, high pressure to low pressure. The wind just keeps blowing around the globe and it never reaches its end. It just keeps blowing around and around. Or think about uh, the water system. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. The sea is like a, a bathtub where someone pulled the plug out. You know, the it, water keeps pouring in, but it never fills up to the place the streams come from. There they return again. Long before perhaps he was aware that you get a trillion tons of water evaporating from the sea every day up into the sky just to repeat the whole cycle. He pins it. This water system that just keeps going round and round and round and, and there's no end point. There's no goal. And that pattern of nature is repeated in human life, he wants us to see. I mean, just think about the everyday chores of life. No sooner have you mopped the kitchen floor that the children rush in with their dirty feet again. And you have to do it all over again. Never get a black, shiny floor. We have one. It kills us. It, it, it looks good for about 30 seconds. And then it's all need to be cleaned up over and over again. And what about that basket full of dirty clothes? It never ends. No sooner has it gone into the washing machine. And what does the washing machine do? It goes round and round and round. No sooner it goes back in the room, the next day there it is on the floor again and into the washing machine it goes. Endless cycles. The wearisome cycles of life. And, and human life is like that. It is wearisome and it is insatiable. That's what it says there, verse 8. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing. Nor the ear its fill of hearing. We think to ourselves, well, when that next thing happens, then I'm going to be happy. When I get that promotion, then I'm going to be happy. When I, when, I, when I marry that person, then I'm going to be happy. When I end this relationship, then I'm going to be happy. When I get into the, uh, a bigger house, then I'm going to be happy. But as each cycle of, of achieving something comes to fruition, we find we're not satisfied. We need to listen to the wise bards of the Rolling Stones. It's quite pathetic. There's Mick Jagger as an OAP, and he's still singing. He can't find no satisfaction. Bono still has not found what he's looking for. 
It is a wearisome and insatiable circle. The eye never has enough of seeing. The ear, just like the sea, is never filled up. It goes on and on and on. No, there's no gain, says the teacher. More than that, there's nothing new. There's nothing new. Verse 9. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. History keeps repeating itself. Boom and bust. Boom and bust. There is no new news. The same things happen to different people. It's just the name of the person under that scandal changes. Round and round it goes. Just the names change. The same things happen. Uh, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun, says the teacher. Verse 10, is there anything of which one can say? And it's almost as if someone's objecting to the teacher. Look, there's something new. Look, this is what advertisers tell us, don't they? Look, there's something new. A shaver with five blades. Ah. You can shave, not with four blades, now with five blades. It's new. And yet people have been shaving their faces for thousands of years. Look, here's something new. The teacher says, it was here already. Long ago, it was here before our time. Ah, but we have cars now. We can get around. And here the ironic thing is, apparently it takes exactly the same time to travel across London today as it did when we had horses and carts. The more things change, the more things stay the same. Ah, I've got my iPhone 5. I camped overnight to get my iPhone 5. And no sooner is that out of the box, there's that, there's that thought as you saw that 590 pounds leave your bank account, that within nine months it'll be obsolete. Because the iPhone 5S will come out and it's even better. And it didn't really do much more than the iPhone 4 after all. All it does is enables you to look at Facebook quicker. So you can see how everybody else is having a great life. And you're not. Because you have to catch up with your Facebook. Like that. This tool of communication leaves you locked in your little sad room just doing this. Like that. And the people you really want to call, well, they forgot to charge up their phone. Or they left it on mute. Or they didn't take it with them. No, the teacher says, face it, nothing new. Here's the kicker, though. No remembrance, verse 11. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Think about this. 
Every person gets into life and they get into the cycle of life and they're working hard. They're working hard to achieve some sense of significance, some value. They, they sweat, they toil, their toil almost kills them. And guess what? At the, at the end of their life, most of us will not be remembered. I don't know whether you look in the newspaper, at the back of the newspaper, there is an obituary section. And there is a section where if you're really important, you have a big write-up. And I look at it. The older I get, I look at it. And I read about all these important people that I've never heard of. And tomorrow I'll have completely forgotten their names. No remembrance. Do you remember, do you know your grandparents' names? Probably, yeah. Do you know the names of their parents? Do you know how many children they had? Do you know what jobs they did? Probably not. Within a few generations, forgotten. No remembrance. And the writer of, of, of Ecclesiastes, he wants us to face facts. This is life. No gain, nothing new, no remembrance. As his motto says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Just like a, a vapor. There it was, and it's already gone. Utterly meaningless. Well, thanks a lot, Pastor Paul. That's really cheered me up. Really set me up for the week. It's good to face facts. That's the reality. Do you feel the pain of it? Remember, the teacher is poking his proverbs into our ribs. He's waking us up. He's saying, do you feel the pain of that? Why is he doing that? Well, taking the light of the whole of the Bible, I want to say this, that the pain of no gain under the sun, the pain of no gain under the sun, points us to rest in God's Son. That's the point of this book as we look at it in the context of the whole Bible. The pain of no gain under the sun points us to rest in God's Son. Did you see that repeated phrase? It was used twice in our section, under the sun. The writer is writing from the perspective of someone living this life under the sun. He's not an atheist. He believes that God is above and beyond. But that's not the perspective that he has as he looks on life. He's looking at life under the sun. There he is. He is locked into this room of life. And, and that's all he sees. And as he observes it all, it just seems utterly meaningless to him. But what if this God who is above and beyond the sun, what if he was to communicate into this tiny little locked room that we're into? Would that make a difference? Yes, it would make a huge difference. Remember, he wants us to face facts and fear God. And Ecclesiastes sits a long time in the past and is pointing us forward to the reality 
that in this world where there is nothing new under the sun, God did do something new. God took on human flesh and came to live life under the sun in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus who, um, who uh, said um, to, to people, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. And listen to what Jesus has to say to those who are weary of this endless, repetitive cycle of seemingly meaningless life. He says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. If all our busyness and restless energy is about finding significance for ourselves, the teacher says, don't be foolish. You'll not find it. And the pain of that reality was put us to the reality that our, our, our significance and our purpose and our point is to be found in God and he has come in Jesus and he comes to invite you today you who are maybe weary of this restless world and says come to me and I'll give you rest it it is just the reason that we gather to sing his praises and sing our delight in him to find our rest in the eternal God by putting our trust in the Lord Jesus Well, what are you going to do today? Are you going to face facts? Are you going to um, come and find your rest in Christ? Well, it could be the answer is no. No, I'm not. I'm not going to do that. And I want to say to you, you should think about this question in verse 3. What, what does a man gain from all his labor which he toils under the sun? Jesus put it this way. What? What does it profit a man if he goes out and gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? What does it profit? There's two poems in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a poem at the beginning and at the end. The poem at the beginning we looked at today and it just looks at the endless cycles of life. and says life just keeps repeating. It goes round and round and round. There's no destination. What's the point of that? But actually, in an ironic way, the poem at the end of the book says, actually, that's not quite true. There is a destination. It's called death. Turn over to page 677, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The closing poem urges us to remember the Creator in the days of our youth because of the reality of death. Look at uh, chapter 12 and verse 6. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken. Before the pitcher is shattered at the spring or the wheel broken at the well. And the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. We are living in a sin 
cursed world. Come with me and, and turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Here is the point to all this pointlessness of life. God has cursed this world because of our rebellion and our sin. And he's done it to wake us up, to look to him. Look at what uh, God says to Adam in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 17. Chat mentioned this in his... uh, testimony, how God created a perfect world and yet we rejected uh, God, we rejected his word and this put us uh, in separation from God and put us into this sin-cursed world. Look at verse 17. Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, there's that word. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You see, the curse of the fall is vegetarianism. But anyway, verse 19. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Painful toil is the curse of God upon our sinful rebellion against him. And it is his kindness to us. If we will face up to the seeming futility and meaningless cycles of life, it is that sharp point that is to waken us up to face facts. The pain of no gain is to point us to rest in God's Son. And I want to say to you, uh, if you're not a Christian, if you've not found your rest in Christ, why don't you do that today? You know, learn from those who've gone before you, who've tried this uh, futile life. Tony Hancock uh, was a comedian who, um, pretty famous in his day, you've probably not heard of him if you're young, which is another sad reality that... uh, Those who were important are remembered no longer. He died in 1968. And like many comics, he he was full of melancholy. But in his last TV monologue, uh, his last thing he ever said on TV, this is what he said in 1964. What have you achieved? What What have you achieved? You lost your chance, me old son. You contributed absolutely nothing to this life. A waste of time you being here at all. No place for you in Westminster Abbey. The best you can expect is a few daffodils in a jam jar. A rough hewn stone bearing the legend. He came and he went. And in between, nothing. Nobody will even notice you're not here. After about a year afterwards, somebody might say down the pub, Where's old Hancock? I haven't seen him around lately. Oh, he's dead, you know. Oh, is he? A right raison d'etre, that is. Nobody will ever know I existed. Nothing to leave behind. Nothing to pass on. Nobody to mourn me. That's the bitterest blow of all. Will you face facts? 
and find your rest in Christ? Well, my hope the answer will be yes. That you will turn to Christ and find your rest in him. To take Christ's yoke is to learn from Christ and that means rest for your souls. See, there's no need to go looking for significance or or making a name for yourself in life. There's nothing more significant or greater than this to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. To To hear Jesus say, I know my sheep, that he knows me. This is what Christians rejoice in. Uh, not that we see great and significant things in life or even in Christian ministry, but that our names are written in the book of life. We are remembered in Him. We've been brought into a relationship with the God who made everything. And God will forgive our sin and our rebellious deeds because Jesus took the curse of God on the cross in our place. And the writer of the Ecclesiastes will always come back to this phrase meaningless because of the reality of death. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what inspires great confidence and joy for us as Christians. Death is not the end. Not only do we receive eternal life now, but we receive the promise and certainty of our resurrection bodies to enjoy life with him forever. And when we find our rest in Christ and take on his yoke upon us, it's not as if there's nothing to do. It is a yoke. There is work to do with Christ. But here is the wonderful thing. When we work and do the work of Christ, we know it is not in vain. The King James Version of Ecclesiastes says it this way, Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And we read from the New Testament earlier, from 1 Corinthians 15, where he says this, Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. In the light of the the resurrection that he's been reflecting on, let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's why Christians live with purpose and meaning and hope in a meaningless life. What are you going to do today? The alarm will go off tomorrow. And apart from those who've passed into that blissful place called retirement, the rest of us are going to be rushing around like lunatics. And I, how are you going to rush about to find your own significance, your own value in what you're doing? Or are you going to repent of all that nonsense and realize it's utterly folly and trust in Christ? Find your hope and significance in Him. And can I just put a thought in your head? How about for you who are Christians to uh, write on the mirror where you brush your teeth before you go to bed, write down this phrase, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And let that be your waking thought every morning this week. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We've got great reasons to get up tomorrow. We're going to look like a lot of other people rushing around, but actually we've got completely different motivation and purpose in life. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Is that not good news? Is that some encouragement at the end of Ecclesiastes? Not sure. 
stupefied by the futility of life. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray.